0: feels really, really nice to be able to share with you today and as we go forward from this uh, Bhagavad Gita. It's a scripture that is dear to the hearts of millions and millions of people, yet sometimes there's aspects of the scripture that aren't quite clear. I mean, we know how powerful, I mean, the vibration of the Gita itself is so powerful to have not just survived, but thrived over these centuries. Yet sometimes it feels a little ambiguous. Sometimes it's a little hard for each of us to tune into, especially more personally. What is it that I need to be drawing from the Gita? And uh, Paramahansa Yogananda, when he spoke about Scripture in general, he said, Scripture's, you can say, beauty and the genius of a Scripture is that it applies to man in his varying levels of consciousness. That means it applies on the physical level. It should show us how to live, how to act. It should apply on the thought level, on the feeling level, how to relate to God, how to relate to the world, how to relate to our own emotions. And then of course it needs to apply to the spiritual level. How am I going to unite myself with God through this wisdom? And it has to kind of pertain and relate to us on all levels. And that is why the Gita is so powerful, because that's exactly what it does. But for many of us, perhaps we see just one layer of uh, what the Gita would like to share with us. And let's see through Yogananda's commentaries, through his explanations, if you're able to go just a little bit deeper. Because the beauty, as I'm saying, of the Gita is that if you if you have a tendency towards action, towards outward activity, then the Gita is going to show you how best should you act. And it'll talk to you about Nishkam Karma, Karma Yoga. If you have a propensity more of understanding that you want your thoughts more aligned, then the Gita will help us to give you the subtle wisdom of the ancient rishis. And of course if you have a much more loving, heart-based relationship with the Divine. The Gita will only deepen that to be able to help us understand how to worship and love God more deeply. But behind all three of these forms, the Gita, more than anything else, is the yogi's guide towards self-realization. And the yogi's reality is happening not just on the level of action, thought and feeling. The yogi's reality is taking place from the perspective of life force, deep within the Sushumna, deep within our spine. And where is Arjuna in that life force? And where is Krishna in the life force? And how are the two communicating? And how are the two communing? And where am I, where are we in that conversation, in that communication? First and foremost, I love the name itself, Bhagavad Gita. So it's a song. It's not really a conversation. It's not like Krishna and Arjuna sitting, and you know Krishna saying, "Hey, let me just tell you about these deep wisdoms." Yeah, it's just like, "Come to my, come over at home." You know, I have certain things to share with you. Krishna is singing these words, and as we will realize, it's not even Krishna. There's such subtle layers there, but it's being sung, which means this wisdom's being channeled through a lot of feeling of the heart. And as we receive this, don't take it as dry philosophy. Really see it as a song. Try to listen, in fact, for the melody behind the words. And then, you know, it's just like it'll help open our heart and relax us much more as we go deep into it. I don't necessarily want to go literally verse by verse. We might do that in certain cases. But again, just understand the essence. What's the vibration and the consciousness behind it, especially the way Yogananda explained it. So before we get in, let's already set the context for the Gita. The context is there's a war going on. as There's a war that's about to begin. And this war is between the Pandavas and the Kauravas. And over here, what we're working with as yogis, and this is where we'll keep bringing it back from the yogic perspective. We'll try to touch all levels, but keep drawing it back to that deep inner communion and self-realization that we seek. So from a yogic perspective, this war that is being waged on is the war of our consciousness. You and I and others, we've decided that the time has come for us to explore higher realities. We want to unite ourselves with God, but we know very well there are a lot of things that are stopping that union. In fact, there are a lot of things that are quite dynamically opposing that union. And so in these two flows of energy, you've got one flow of energy that wants to lift itself up and expand and embrace, but you've got another flow of energy that's going downward, that's trying to enmesh us further in our habits, in our limitations, in our desires, in our attachments. Every time we say, oh, I wanna go and meditate, there's an immediate next thought that says, well, maybe I should make coffee first. Or, but do I really have time? Okay, maybe I'll just do a minute. And so it's just this every time we have a thought, every time the Pandavas are essentially trying to expand, trying to gain a stronghold in our kingdom. And this is what we're talking about. This kingdom of the Mahabharat the setting, is the kingdom of our consciousness. And all individual characters, this is where Ved Vyas was such a genius, the saint, the sage that he was, is he took these historical characters, some of them, the main ones, and then he wove them allegorically into this inner battle that each of us face daily. Now people are facing this on all levels but again especially those of us spiritually minded wanting to raise our consciousness but very conscious also of this downward pulling force. And so this battle is now going to take place and it is on the eve of this battle that this song celestial that this Gita is being shared with us. So first and foremost, let's understand where the Gita is happening. It's happening in the midst of this battle. So this conversation is naturally allegorical. This is not, I mean, if I would think historically, you can't think of Abhi hone wala hai, the battle's about to begin and oh no, let's just spend hours right now discoursing about the finer, subtler realities of nature and of this world. So you know that this is an intuitive perception between God and the Godhead within each of us, between the Guru, essentially, and the Guru, I don't mean a person, but the consciousness completely united with the Divine and the devotee. And so each of us today gets to be Arjuna. And we're going to have this conversation with our own highest self, with the Godhead, with Krishna within us, and see what this intuitive perception might be for each of us. So let's begin with the first chapter. All right. Oh, actually, I'm going to go out of this little book. You've got commentaries here, but these are just the verses. So we'll kind of switch back and forth between the two. Okay. we'll start introducing some of the characters as we go along. So the first verse is King Dhritarashtra, he poses this question to Sanjay. On the battlefield of Kurukshetra, my sons and those of Pandu, the Pandavas, stood raged against each other, eager for battle. What was the outcome? Now, from the very onset of the Gita, you've got this question being posed. So, the Gita is not starting from... Krishna and Arjuna having this conversation, the Gita starts a little before, actually from Dhritarashtra. He is the instigator of the Gita, you can almost say. So Dhritarashtra is asking his trusted aide Sanjaya. Now remember I talked about, Yogananda said every character in the Mahabharata is a psycho-spiritual quality, a mental citizen of our own inner kingdom, of our consciousness. And so, King Dhritarashtra, we know what is his one main characteristic, that he is blind. And Yogananda said he represents the mind. The mind is blind because it depends on the five senses to feed it. By itself, it has no ability to see. It has no ability to perceive unless it is being fed by the senses. So, you've got the mind of the devotee. Now, this is us. We sit, and who is the mind going to ask about what happened on the battlefield? Now, he asks Sanjaya, if you know your Mahabharat, Sanjaya had this singular boon, this ability, this gift, this siddhi, that allowed him to see at a distance what is happening. But Sanjaya's gift was to see things in real time, like live television as the cricket match is going on we're watching it. So Sanjaya could see immediately okay now this is happening now that is happening since Dhritarashtra wants to know what's happening he asks Sanjaya. But you see he doesn't ask the question what is happening right now? He didn't say oh my sons and the sons of Pandu what are they doing right now? He says what was the outcome? What did they do? So Yogananda said the The key of the allegorical nature of the Mahabharata is in this question because rather than posing the question in real time, Dhritarashtra poses the question in the past. That the event has already happened and this tells us that Sanjaya represents introspection. The name Sanjaya means complete victory. And so throughout the um, process of our day, we go through a lot of battles. Should I be rude? Should I be loving? Should I be serviceful and do a selfless deed? Should I do something that is selfish? Should I give? Should I I take? Should I meditate? Should I watch television? And so we've got this constant battle. And this battle is not just the battle of life. This is battle of moment by moment. But assuming our day has come to an end, how would we know what we did? And the key here is introspection. So Sanjaya represents that introspection and the name Sanjaya, complete victory means whatever lesson I was unable to learn during the course of my day, now through introspection I have an opportunity to learn it once again, to be victorious once again. Oh, I reacted badly in that moment. Okay, now can I understand That my reaction wasn't quite right. So, Dhritarashtra and Sanjaya are the first two key characters of the Gita. Your mind, the blind mind, and your introspective ability first looks at, in my consciousness, in my day, in my life, on the battlefield of of this journey that I am on towards higher consciousness, What was the outcome today? What was the outcome of that situation, that circumstance? So, this is where our Gita begins. We're in the battlefield, but we're stepping away for a moment and allowing the mind to introspect as to what is happening. Now, Sanjaya says Duryodhan, who is is, uh, Dhritarashtra's son, his eldest, the king at this moment, on beholding the Pandava army, in full battle array, approached Dronacharya and spoke as follows. Behold, O teacher, this great army of the sons of Pandu, arrayed for battle by your own gifted student, Drishtadumna, the son of Draupad. And so I want to go over here, I want to stop for a moment because what's going to happen now, the first chapter of the Gita is essentially a kind of a a list of the warriors on either side. And so the first thing our introspective mind is doing is it's analyzing the strengths and the weaknesses. It's analyzing our tendencies to rise and it's analyzing the tendencies to that draw us down. It's analysing our samskars, our habits, our likes and dislikes. And it's starting to make a mental picture of the two armies. So first and foremost, you've got Duryodhan. Duryodhan, Yogananda said, represents and he called him King Material Desire. So ego driven desires. And so, when the ego driven desires are created, they want us to relate both to the separate identity of ourselves and, more importantly, to our necessity for fulfillment outside of ourselves. Now, all the 99 Korova brothers represent this outward, downward flow of energy that binds. The Pandavas on the other hand, the five brothers, represent, Yogananda said, the five chakras. So you've got Sahadev and Nakula representing the lower two chakras. They're twins. Then you've got Arjuna at the Manipur. You've got Bhima at the Anahat. You've got Yudhishthira at the Vishuddha. And then you've got Krishna at the Cosmic Consciousness. And so this is the process. And Draupadi represents the Kundalini energy therefore She was the wife of all five. So in order for her to arrive, she was a devotee of Krishna. For her to get to Krishna, her job was to unite all five Pandava brothers in holy union before she got there. So this journey that we are taking involves these five brothers because it's in the spine. It's in the Shushumna that this journey is going to happen. But our energy can't really get in there because of all these outward-downward flows of energy that the Kauravas represent. So, Duryodhan comes to Drona. Now, who is Drona? Dronacharya is the guru, the teacher of both the Kauravas and the Pandavas. Yogananda said, Drona represents habit, past tendencies of repetitive action. So now, habit is the teacher of both good and bad. I mean, Arjuna was Dronacharya's most gifted and favored student, and Dronacharya taught both the Pandavas and the Kauravas. However, when the moment of battle comes, when the time comes for us to choose between our aspirations for joy and for cosmic consciousness, as opposed to the downward pull of energy, you will see that your habit will tend to always support and side with those ego-driven materialistic desires. So, is your habit for meditation stronger, or is your habit to sleep longer stronger? Is your habit for laziness stronger? Is your habit for putting energy out stronger? So, when the battle starts to come, Yogananda explained, it isn't enough just to have good habits. We have to have grace, we have to have the divine wisdom of Krishna as well, guiding this process. So at that time of the battle, Drona then sides with the Kauravas. Habit then becomes the ally more of the lower tendencies than our higher tendencies. The higher tendencies have to be fed beyond habit by divine aspiration. And so Drona is one of the main generals of uh, Duryodhana's army. So he comes to Drona, he comes to his past habitual tendencies, and he's essentially telling Drona, look onto the side of the Pandavas. And he starts naming all the characters. He starts naming all the principal warriors. So normally you'll think this is some sort of a roll call. It's like, why did it make it into the Gita? You know when is it when are we going to get to the conversation but it's so important to the Gita because it's important first for us to know ourselves you see without you having enough ability to analyze and introspect with self-honesty who are the enemies who are your warriors who is going to support you who is trying to draw you away until that is not established, it becomes very hard for the devotee to go deep, to break beyond. So this awareness of self is important. And I just, I don't want to name all the, all the warriors because then we just get caught up in all these really difficult sounding names. Tendencies if I, find out, or not today? Um, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how it will unfold. Okay. But I do want to name just the qualities that each of these warriors represent. So over here you've got these. This is what Duryodhan is telling Drona. These are the warriors on this side of the Pandavas. So you've got awakened intuition and the calm inner light. You've got dispassion toward sense enjoyments. You've got fiery self-control. This is Arjuna. You've got the power to uplift the body's energy and to control the life force. This is Bhima. He represents pranayam, the heart center. You've got ecstatic identity with the egoic self dwelling within the soul. You've got the yamas and the niyamas. This is Sahadev and Nakula. They represent the power. The power to either abstain from temptation which is the yamas to control the life force that it doesn't go away into lower tendencies and the ability to practice the virtues which is the niyamas so they are the first two chakras the yamas and the niyamas you've got inclination towards internalizing the mind which is pratyahar which leads to divine calmness which is yudhishtir. you've got steady and upright body posture You've got inner power to adherence to virtue, which, as I said, is the Niyamas. And then he goes on to, you know, name several more. So what I'm trying to help us understand is you've actually got all these people on your side, depending on how much energy you've given them all your life. How much have you practiced pranayama? And by pranayama, I don't mean breathing exercises. I mean, how often have you controlled your life force and been able to withdraw it? How often have you practiced posture? So, your uh, warriors on the Pandava side are not necessarily these. These are the highest potentials of these tendencies within us. But it depends on who you've trained. That is why Duryodhan goes to Drona. He's the trainer. He's the guru. He's the one who has trained dispassion. He's the one who has trained fiery self-control. He's the one who has trained the ability to, you know, control the life force within you and direct it upward. So once you know which tendencies have you trained in yourself, you first start to know, okay, these are my warriors. These are the warriors of light fighting on my side. At the same time, then Duryodhan goes and says, in balance they are those leaders in my own army who are outstanding now he wants to also ascertain and emphasize that I also have really powerful people on my side and he starts naming them and he first says in the number first yourself Drona he's telling Drona you habit habit is one of the strongest warriors on the side of these downward-pulling tendencies. You've got Bhishma. Now, Bhishma is an interesting character. The Grand Sire, the Grandfather to all, again, siding with the Kauravas. Now, Bhishma, Yogananda said, represents the ego. But we have to realize the ego doesn't mean, you know, like pride or look at me or... It doesn't mean egoic. The ego only means the false identification with form, the feeling that I am separated from God. That is it. So it's not yet, it's not a bad thing yet, because even a master has to have some form of ego to say, this is my body, I'm responsible for it, this is what I'm feeding, this is what I'm moving, this is what I'm acting in. It is from ego, when ego and blind mind, Dhritarashtra, and his wife who represents the power of desire. So this is what the chitta is combined. Chitta is the biased feelings of our heart, which is the likes and dislikes, the wants and don't wants, the goods and the bads, where we start carving the world into the dual reality of saying, This is good, this is bad. This gives me happiness, this gives me sadness. This I want to do, this I don't want to do. And these are the Kauravas. These are the brothers. So ego itself is actually very majestic, very powerful, and you know Bhishma had that. But it is when ego gets identified with material world that that downward pulling force becomes strong. So Bhishma is the key central reality. Then they've got Karna. Karna represents outward attachment. Now Karna is actually originally a Pandava. He's also one of those really key characters you don't quite know because he's probably the most dharmic, the most dignified, and he's also probably the strongest warrior in the whole scene. But that is because, Yogananda said, he represents happiness, which is so powerful. It is the driving force of our life. Every decision you, I, and Aryani make Is because we want to be happy. So he represents happiness. However, he has hitched his happiness to outward attachment. So Yogananda said, while his quality is very uplifting and very expansive, but the quality when connected and you can say conditioned by the outward world, naturally Karna has sides, ends up siding with the Kauravas. And again, a very powerful moving force in our life. None of us make any decision unless we feel it'll lead to happiness. That it actually doesn't lead to happiness in most cases. That's a whole other (laughs) discussion. And then he goes on to say we've got got our dislikes, we've got our likes, we've got the impulses towards outer activity, we've got lust, we've got anger, we've got hatred. So he starts, now these are all the... Korova brothers and those who sided with them. You've got all these numerous tendencies that play and wreak havoc in your consciousness, especially whenever it is that you're trying to expand. If you are not interested, you see, the other thing about this battle is this battle is not necessarily taking place for everyone because there are a lot of people in the world who are saying, it's like, I want to get angry. But who's gonna stop me from getting angry? What's wrong with getting angry? I, you know, What's wrong with looking out only for myself? What's wrong in being selfish? Of course I'll be rude to that guy. He doesn't deserve my uh, kindness. So you've got people who otherwise think, you know, what's the big deal? It's only when within us is awakened the soul call that the battle really begins. So each of us are in our own stage of the battle. Some of us are in the beginning of the battle, some of us are well into the battle, some of us are towards ending this battle. But wherever you are, first and foremost, it is important for us to introspect, to analyze and say, Who are my warriors? Who am I working with? until I don't know who is it that I have already energized and awakened, which positive qualities have I awakened, which negative qualities have I brought with me lifetime after lifetime, and who is being pitted against each other. Because if you read the Mahabharata from this perspective, you will then start to see, ah ah, that is why this guy can kill this guy, this guy can overcome that guy, this guy has this power versus that guy has this other power. He is powerful in this way, but if you take away this thing, then his power is lost. All of it starts to make sense because it's the battlefield of your consciousness. You will start to learn which quality can defeat which other quality, which positive flow of energy is able to outwit which negative flow of energy. And in that form, the Gita becomes our daily life. It's no longer a scripture that is, oh, let me read, let me receive wisdom, let me really take from it. It's like, it's a scripture that we need to start living. It's like a map. It's a map. It's very much a map. Because the Mahabharat, Yogananda explained, is the descent, the story of the Mahabharata is the descent of God's consciousness into matter. And the Gita, however smaller part it plays is actually the beginning of the reascent of matter uh, hypnotized ego driven identity back into cosmic consciousness and this is the entire flow of the mahabharat that is why it starts with all the you know the lineage And Yogananda explained the lineage from one to the next is how energy descends, how life force, how cosmic consciousness descends down into matter identification. And then the battle happens. And if we win the battle, how the energy reascends back up into God. And so we are at the stage of the battle. And in the battle, we're learning who our warriors are. We're learning who we are working with. Who are my mental citizens? Who are the ones I've given power? Who are my ministers? And who are the kings? And who are the princes? And who is only a lowly stable hand? And maybe that lowly stable hand needs to be given more energy because he represents something more powerful. But again, which uh, tendencies have I in my life up till now awakened? They are the ones we are working with. The yes, where are we on? Yes, very true. So the I want to this next um, stanza verse Duryodhana says our forces guarded by Bhishma Bhishma remember represents ego until there is this idea that you're a separate identity different from God there will always be the potential For that downward flow of energy. And so, our forces, Duryodhana is talking about the Kauravas and all of their allies, guarded by Bhishma. Bhishma is the most important. In the very beginning, he's saying Bhishma at all costs must be protected. And that's his whole, you can say, battle plan is as long as Bhishma is alive, nothing can defeat us. And that is very true. And we know Bhishma has the power to give up his life, and only then will he die. And that is the ego's power. The ego cannot be destroyed, cannot be beaten, cannot be cut. The ego cannot be bullied. The ego can only finally come to the understanding that it wants to surrender itself into the infinite. And that is Bhishma's power. He will only decide when he's ready to give himself up. But until then, this battle will rage on. And then he says, uh, uh, Duryodhan, he says, Our army and our warriors are countless, cannot be counted. Whereas their warriors on the side of the Pandavas can easily be counted. Now, Yogananda makes a big point of this as well. He says, Here, Duryodhan is bringing the point that. The ways for us to get caught up in Maya are numerous and infinite, whereas the ways for us to get out are actually very few. There are only a few things we need to be doing. Love, kindness, generosity. Whereas how to get caught up in Maya, the different shades of attachment, involvement, desire, likes and dislikes, expectations, the different delusions and and um, justifications we can generate for ourselves are infinite. But it only takes 10-15 things for us to do for the Pandavas to start winning. So know that the from the very beginning, the armies are already mismatched. The Pandavas are fewer, the Kauravas are numerous. However, it is now up to us, and this is where we will kind of stop because we just want to go into the Gita enjoying this process and starting to relate it into our daily lives, into our meditations, into our consciousness. So let us leave it here to see first and foremost, who are your warriors? Who have you awakened? How much energy you've given them? And go through this first process, this first chapter, which is understanding the battlefield understanding where you have found yourself and which which army is already stronger than the other because then and only then will you know if you are even ready for the battle is this an even matched Uh, fight or is it a foregone conclusion? Do you even have Krishna on your side yet or have you not yet found your guru? You've not yet found the divine inspiration within yourself. So let's stop here and take this week, take this time before we get to start again and work with this battlefield a little bit. What did you want to say?
1: No, just recap, but I think you did
0: it. Anything you want to add?
1: No, I think that that Yogananda said that millions will find God. I remember the first time I read the Gita, many of you already know it was in 2005 when Swami Kriyananda was working on this manuscript. And it made so much sense to me. It's like I could see inside this book the whole spiritual path. And as Shurja was saying, the those 10, 15 steps that I needed to take. And many of us enter the spiritual path thinking that suddenly and finally, our life is going to be easier and all the forces of the universe are going to cooperate and just give us whatever we want and take away those people that we don't like but as we will see throughout this journey that Shurjo will lead us into many classes on the Gita, we'll see that it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of commitment from our part because it's a big battle. And as Shurjo was saying, this is happening like constantly not just throughout the day but every minute where is my consciousness where is my energy where are my thoughts what is the kind of direction i'm heading how i'm thinking about this person about this other person where where is my energy so it's going to be a fascinating journey that we can help each other to remind ourselves that the real battle is inside and this week especially as much as you can work on introspection have a diary every night and look for those key moments where you had a choice to respond in a particular way and you somehow (laughs) couldn't make it that day or the choice that you took was the easiest one but not necessarily the most uplifting one so this is a serious study of ourselves that we need to make uh, very consciously if we really want to grow spiritually if you just want to hear a nice story a nice spiritually uplifting you know scripture fine that's you are most welcome but if you really want to do an inner work that in maybe one year or two you can see incredible results within yourself is going to take work but it's worth it and anyway it's just it's just a wonderful journey and I love the fact that Swami Kriyananda felt that inspiration from Yogananda himself, his own guru saying, you have to write this because millions are going to find God through the Gita not thousands millions so when a self-realized master can see ahead what's going to happen when a scripture is channeled and manifested you know with we when so much wisdom comes through a master and it gets printed on a paper for centuries later all of us to read is is one of the greatest blessings that they can give to all of us so let's start in this journey of self-realization and we have the key here and can't wake wait to walk this path with you what will this evening by reminding ourselves to be warriors of light. And as Krishna told Arjuna, be thou a yogi. In the same way, keep reminding yourself I am a yogi. I am a warrior of light. Om Chanda.